The views expressed in our episodes are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Hello and welcome to Catfish Cops. Welcome. My name is Tony Godwin. My name is Brandon Poor. And uh, today we're just going to literally just jump right back into part two, part two of Mr. Barkley. And we left off discussing the elderly Jerry Garcia grandpa who wanted to kick Tony's ass. <laughs> right. And Tony couldn't leave well enough alone as he walked out of the station and said, make better choices. I thought it was very appropriate advice. Personally. I think it's good advice for me, uh, but <laughs> probably not angry elderly grandfather who's yeah. really upset with you. So let's keep talking about Barkley Hackney and their weird, gross yes. sexual perversion. I think we left off. I had mentioned I had gotten uh, Barkley out of this jail cell, brought him to an interview where there was a secondary interview that was going on. And we had talked about like the concept of where did this all begin? And so when he talked about child sex abuse material, um, after we had already had this long conversation about his pregnancy fetish and some other weird stuff, um, he told me that he thought his um, fascination and interest in child sex abuse material started when he was between maybe 13 to 15 or something like that. And so he said that at that time, his the range, the age range of kids – material, sex abuse material that he liked to look at was between about ages eight and 11. So he was either very honest um, in that he, like he was younger when he started into child sex abuse yeah. material, or some of our other offenders are not so honest when they say they've just been into it for a few years in their thirties and you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. like, I know that some people, I guess, like start into that realm when they're older but he started right. relatively young yeah from what we're used to seeing or experiencing um and and i will tell you his demeanor you know over a period of time we get to be pretty good gauge of who we're talking to and their level of sincerity and and believability and and i will say that um mr barkley he ranked very high in that area sadly because his level of comfort was disgusting to me in the in the sense that i could tell he was enjoying the conversation whether it was to just get it off of his chest or whether it was so um, it wasn't like it wasn't just a relief to talk about it he was actually like enjoying the discussion yes and and as you're going to hear here you know in the very near um few moments um more so, and, and I think you'll understand, um, you know, that it's less a relief and more of an something he's enjoying. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, when Barkley said that he first met Hackney, they she was pregnant with her first child, and so it already fueled his pregnancy fetish, even more so that she was okay with beginning a relationship 
uh, with him because she shared this same fetish, according to him. And so they became a couple. She was not married at the time, obviously, with her first pregnancy. Um, and so he said he was very, very candid with me about the relationship with her. And he said they were best friends for a very, very long time before they got romantically involved. And that because she shared the same fetishes that he shared, it just sort of made things, it, it sort of fueled this um, sexual appetite that they both seemingly had, which, you know, again, is not something we're used to really, you know, seeing or hearing about. And so um, he said occasionally she would even, while she was searching out child sex abuse material um, and send it to him, that she would occasionally just joke around and find some, you know, horrific bestiality uh, video or image and send it to him. But she would rename the title to to represent something that was child-related, knowing he would open it, and then she would get a big laugh out of so maybe when she said, I was just giving this stuff to him as a joke, maybe that's what she was talking about. Or at least she was trying to make you think that's all she was doing. Right. And didn't know maybe that you knew the full extent of it. Yeah. And and so, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's a, a perceptive outlook. I didn't really take it at the time, but I, I have no doubt that that could be. Um, Why, thank you. What it's it was. because I make better choices. You do. <laughs> and so one of the things with with Miss Hackney that I, I don't know that I mentioned last week was one of her admissions when I specifically asked her about the the hands-on offense, you know, involving the family member, if she was aware of that. And she said, yes, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to read you a quote of what she said in a text message said, the first reaction was, wow, that's the real deal. You better not tell anybody or you're going to get in some big trouble. And I want to add that this comes across as though she's supportive of him, and she was, um, but she did nothing to report it. Nothing. So she's she's not okay. She does. She seems okay with it. Yeah. It's just and like she's she's just as complicit in this as he is. Yes, absolutely. And so, um, I mean, obviously she's she's looking at or possessing the, the CSAM as well, but she's right. just as complicit in the other stuff as well, because she's not reporting. She's, she's got kids. She's just giving into his own sexual desires or, or I mean, out of that, you know, that's yeah. Yeah. She's not, I don't think she's the innocent bystander in this. Right. And I was, my intention was to have a conversation with her as well. I actually wanted to start with her, before I talked to Barkley, but when I got down to the facility, I had learned that, oh, she said her stomach hurt, so she's at the hospital being treated, which, okay, that's fine. Right. You're welcome to do all that. And so I spoke with Barkley for a couple hours. Um, you know, it took a couple hours to kind of go through this stuff. And so I was reaching sort of the end of my my time with one. I was kind of sick of him. I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to go home. And so I typically end my interviews with all of these guys in a similar fashion. And I may say something like, let me give you a hypothetical. What if people above me make the decision that we're going to go do a press release? We're going to go put your face on the news and we're going to say, hey, everybody in the North Texas area, if you know this guy, 
or have had any dealings with him, please call Tony Godwin, blah, 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 blah. And I said, if that happens, Mr. Barkley, how many phone calls do you think I will get? Because it does normally generate tips and, you know, lots of extra work. And so he kind of looked around, he looked up, he was definitely in this thought process, like he was trying to recall. And then he said, probably six or seven. Oh. And so. Because usually. The most common answer I ever get when I do that little scenario is, you won't get any calls. Right. Because I've never done this before. Right. And so when he said. Even if they have, they're saying Even if they they have. have. Right. But he says. Six or seven. Six or seven. (coughs) Excuse me. And so. I uh, I obviously realize, okay, my interview's not over. So now we're going to delve into this. And so I'm going to share with you a few of the things. I'm not going to give you every detail, but I want to just make you understand this glimpse behind the mask of this guy who has this uh, these proclivities. And now go go back. He's not he's not upset because he's had all these victims and he has all this child sex abuse material. Not at all. And he, he's upset because in his mind, this is how depraved right. people get in his mind. If he had just not lost his phone. Yep. This wouldn't have happened. Yep. He, he beat himself up more because of that and his own sort of stupidity for leaving a phone at a store. So he thought, um, that he was for, all of the things that he had done and up that, to this point. that in and of itself is terrible. Like, right. You, it's not even remorse for all of the terrible things I've done or people I've hurt. Yeah. It's, it's that, well, if I would have never done, if I'd have never been caught, you'd never even know. Yeah. 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 He was, um, like I said, he, he really had no affect other than his seemingly enjoyment from the stories, you know, like he took some sort of pleasure from it, which right. even further sickened me. So yeah, I sort of walked backwards with him and I said, well, tell me about the first time. Like what, what do you remember? And he's like, well, I lived in this apartment complex. I think I was 13 or 14. Um, he said, and I was on my way to this local store to go buy some candy or something. And he said, and I walked by this um, apartment on the first floor and he said, um, I could hear a couple of small kids inside this apartment that were like giggling and playing and laughing and, you know, whatever. So he said he snuck up to the window and he looks into the window and he sees what he thinks is a brother and sister. They're just goofing around playing, jumping on the bed and screaming and doing all kinds of stuff. And he said, what shocked me was that the kids were so scantily clad. And he said, they were practically inadvertently like exposing their privates to me. And so I thought, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like the 14 year old kid that just hears kids playfully inside of an apartment through a window and then creeps up to the window to sneak in and watch. Um, In essence, he said, look, I did this. I encouraged both of the kids to take their clothing off, which they did. And he said, I pleasured myself to that act. And he said, I went by that window many other times, hoping, you know, he could do the same thing. And, and then you're he's thinking this, this has happened 
too long ago to even know where this is or who this right. is. So there's just this is just a yeah. This is just a story. A this story is to him a yeah. recount. Yeah, but and it's the manner of his his demeanor, the way he spoke, and and you could just see him reliving this. You know, as he told me the story, and he was enjoying it, and so. He said he almost got caught on one of his occasions. He said a guy, uh, like an adult, was in the parking lot, just happened to see him, you know, ran after him and tried to catch him. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm pretty sure the cops were involved, but he goes, I never got caught. And just so matter of fact about it. And I said, okay, well, what do you remember after that? And he said, well, he said, I remember um, when I was maybe 19, 18, 19, he said, and I met through an online relationship, I met a 12-year-old girl. And he said, we built up this sort of long-term online relationship. And he said, she fell in love with me and I fell in love with her. And he said, uh, basically, we had been involved physically. He said, I physically went to her. I was engaged in sexual activities with this girl. Um, he did um, provide identifiers for something later down the road to follow up on. Um, and he said that he was actually caught by her parents in her room, which is something we've discussed on this podcast yep. in previous cases where, you know, things like this happen. And it's part of the importance of why we do this, because yeah. these things, these real things are happening. Yeah. And so I asked, I said, well, what was the resolution? And again, he said, I'm, I thought the police were called. He goes, but I never got contacted. Nobody ever talked to me. He said, the only thing I know happened, he said, is her father came to my house talked to my father and he said, my father beat me till I was almost unconscious. And he said, nothing else was said after that. Really? And so he was never caught for that either. Never caught for that one. Was he living in fear all the time of being caught or just, he said, you know, for a period of time, he was like concerned that all of a sudden somebody would swoop in and grab him up or he'd get arrested or whatever. But, um, he said once he took a beat down from his dad, um, he said he knew pretty much that was, where it was going to end. I was like, hmm, hmm, interesting. And so... Um, he told another story, right? He told another story. And so he kind of boasted that back in the day, um, he was living with Hackney and her now husband, who was just another guy who kind of shared their same creepy, weird beliefs. And... He said, we lived in this apartment complex, which he identified. And he said, we were always known as the cool apartment. And I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? He's like, well, kids would come over and hang out. You know, we'd smoke weed with them. They'd watch TV because we had a TV. And I'm thinking in my head, like, what? Like, what do you? <laughs> so six or seven is probably what you're thinking now is hundreds. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, he said the most disturbing part of this conversation was he said that he remembered he thought it was his 26th or 27th birthday. And he said he had just gotten out of the shower and he encounters um, Hackney in the apartment. And he said they have this very brief conversation. And she says, hey, go to your room because I got you a birthday present. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and so he... I, I don't guess I'm maybe saying it in the way that the listener understands. Like this is just a conversation. Like if me and you were having a conversation about something like this, like just 
we were just having this, you know, friendly chat, like we're buds having this conversation. And he says, I go into my room and he said, there is a young girl on the bed dressed provocatively. He said, she's 11 or 12. And he said, the first thing she says to me is happy birthday. And I said, what? Like, what does that mean? And so basically Hackney purchased time with this girl to do sexual things with Barkley as a birthday present. So now we're even talking about a trafficking situation. Right. Because this child, and he said 11 or 12 maybe? 11 or 12. He's, child he was pretty sure she was 12. Being paid to be a birthday present. Right. And so, like, I, I was dumbfounded. Like, I obviously, like, can't share details. I would never share details. But the descriptive nature of his admission of to what transpired and how it transpired and watching him smile and giggle about his recollection of that as it came back to him. Uh, yeah, he's he's the he's the quint i mean he's what we talk about yeah. when we say dangerous predator yeah he is it, a predator it it was everything i could do to maintain a composure during that interview cuz i was i was so fired up which is the number one thing that people ask us like how do you do this without wanting to reach over and do something terrible uh, to someone who's offending on kids. And we sort of have the same answer. I've heard you give this answer and I give this answer, which is yeah. if we can maintain our cool and we act like this is perfectly, this conversation we're having with the offender is perfectly normal and right. we're, we're completely understanding and supportive of them, right. then they tell us more. Yep, And that attitude gets them to confess to everything they've done, which then hopefully puts them away for a long time to protect anyone else from being harmed by them. Yeah. And that's how we can do that. Right. Because it's the end result that we're after. It is. Even though in my mind, I was (laughs) wanting to do something. I was certainly wanting to do a lot more. Um, I'm going to tell you about one more version of what he told me because um, the others are just entirely too much. Um, but the last incident that he, that I'm going to mention that he talked about involved, um, a girl who he thought was 13. He wasn't hundred percent sure, but he believed that she could have been 13. Um, and he said, I remember I made every effort I could to do a sex act with this child. Um, but I literally was unable to do so because of her size. She was very small, very, very petite. And he said, I just simply couldn't be, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't get in basically. And so he then said that other sex acts occurred that didn't require that. Um, And so that's how that one sort of ended. And so again, with being ugly, honest, I had reached my fill with him at this point. I, I was not in a, good place mentally to continue talking with him. And so I was like, Hey, we're done. Yeah, I'm done with you. And so I took him back. I put him up. Um, 
I noticed that Miss Hackney had returned. And so the last thing you want to do is continue. Yeah, the very talking. last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go home, I wanted to take a shower, I wanted to, you know, hug my family and right. and you know, get some sort of normalcy in my paradigm of thinking and and there's Miss Hackney in her 8 months pregnant body. And so I decide, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and I bring her to the room, Mirandizer, she waves and we talk and her her initial um demeanor is like kind of pissing me off she's more concerned well you took my son away and she said you know what happens in private in the privacy of my own room is nobody's business and da, 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 like very accusatory um and so i you know i unleashed a litany of um things about her and her living conditions and the deplorable nature of that and how she could raise a child and bring a new child into that kind of conditions and and, you know, by the end of of my diatribe to her, in addition to what she's already admitted to, you know, I, she cried. And so whatever, I did, had no feeling about that whatsoever. I was very kind of pissed at that point. And so I told her, I said, listen, I need to confirm a few things that Mr. Barkley told me, and I'm, I want to know if you'll confirm this. And so I asked about a birthday present. And that's literally how I asked it. He told me about a birthday present. You got him. Oh, yeah. She goes, you mean that uh, that 14, 15-year-old girl? Yeah, I, I did that. And I said, really? Tell me about that. So she's like, yeah, there was this girl. She was always in trouble. She was kind of a street girl, da, 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 kind of very dismissive. And she's like, I knew she was kind of down with that. She said, so I stole $60 out of Barkley's wallet, paid her for two hours to be with him. And I said, really, where was this? And she confirmed everything that he had told me. And then I said, well, you, you understand she wasn't 14, that she was 11 or 12. And she like starts bawling, puts her hands up to her face as though that was a big shock. Surprise. Like she was not aware that that was illegal. That's the, that's sort of the, look she presented as though I was supposed to bite the hook and get reeled into the boat, which I didn't meaning like, Oh, I'm crying. You're supposed to feel sorry for me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty right. much. And so, um, so she knew about that. She paid for that. Yeah. She didn't report any of this. None of it, which is a felony. Yep. To, to not stop that to i mean she is every bit as much a part of this right it is yeah yeah absolutely she's she was complicit in so many ways in what she should have done and didn't do and did you talk to her husband he refused to uh communicate with me so you believe that he was every bit as involved every bit okay every bit and the grandfather did you believe he was involved <laughs> i you know i never really could get to the to the bottom of that um but it wouldn't have shocked me a bit. I mean, I, I just, it's hard for me to envision a guy of that age and that sort of health and condition. I mean, I know he was like, you know, doing drugs and things of that nature. And, but that's a far cry from this other stuff, knowing and actively yeah. participating. Uh, I was never able to get to the, to the, to the baseline of that. Did Barkley ever find out that the friend is where he left the phone? I suspect he may have somewhere way down the road. 
Um, or he could very well know that now because um, ultimately they were they were both arrested on you know many multiple counts. And I guess before I, well, I'll, I'll tell this part in a second. They you know they were both charged multiple charges. This was a case where both of these cases went state and federal. And because of the types of charging that was involved, there was also charges in um, another state where the some offenses occurred and things of that nature. And so um, I can tell you for Barkley, he got a 30-year sentence. Um, on the federal side? On the federal side here in Texas. And he has, you know, additional things to answer for in another state, plus some state charges. Um, so that are still active and pending or that he will, get- I, I suspect they're probably resolved at this point. I don't, I didn't look at it to see because I know, you know, he's going to be in his late sixties before it's even a possibility that he's going to be going anywhere. Right. My hope, my prayer is that like, you know, he never sees the light of day again. He is a predator through and through yeah um was hackney's husband charged as well or you just didn't have anything to go i didn't have anything to go and charge him with um interesting twist on that that i can't really mention but um hackney was also charged federally she received a 15-year sentence uh she gave birth to this new child in federal custody which was removed from her at that point uh, as it should and so um I guess just to follow up on one thing, I was able, the uh, birthday gift, after this case was over and I had to do a lot of digging to try to drill back to see if additional charges were found, I did find that person who's an adult, been an adult for a while. And so it's just a tragic, I mean, just a tragic gut punch to, you know, things that... um that take place that we don't want to, we don't even want to think about. Um, And so I think what I would list as like takeaways for me for this was the other agency did a fantastic job with what they had. I mean, they had hardly anything to go on, but you know, they did everything right. And then called because they're like, "Mm, you know, we want to do some more things, but it's going to take some time and some protocol to get that done. Maybe we can, you know, fast track this and and whatnot. And so um, the takeaway for me is to dig and to keep digging and keep digging because, you know, there is some point in time where you're going to say, okay, you know, that's enough. Uh, But with this guy, like I said, I I know of six to seven other victims that I never would have known about had it not been for asking a few questions. So what follow? we mentioned that we were going to talk about this in, in a future episode, a couple episodes ago that, that what happens with, with CSAM when we're talking about child sexual abuse material, you know, there, there are sometimes we get people saying like, uh, I don't even cops. Uh, I can't deal. I don't want to see it. Yeah. And Unfortunately, just by the very nature of our job, we have to because right. we deal with it um, in cases so much. But what what do we end up doing? We have to like. It's not for oftentimes it's not for extra charges, but we end up having to go through a majority of it, if not all of it, yeah. to look for other victims, right? Yeah. So that's right. something that the general public wouldn't know that we have to go through and and 
sort of categorize things um, yep. by the nature of the offense that's involved in the CSAM. Yeah, because I think we've discussed before, like the our number one priority is always to identify if someone's been – I mean, everything in child sex abuse material that we see are kids that have been victimized, obviously. Yes. Or they wouldn't have these this imagery floating around about them. But to physically locate that child and – verify and validate and get that kid back on the right path. That's the, that's the difficult. And one of the aspects of, and I think we've talked about a a lot about NECMEC, the national center for missing and exploited children. But one of the great aspects of, of what they do too is the identification program. So they, they identify or, or they make every effort to try and identify children yeah. in CSAM. CVIP is what that's called, yeah. Child Victim Identification Program, and it is so We cannot fantastic. speak highly enough yeah. of NECMEC and the people who are doing that amazing work up there. Yep. Um, we just, we brag on them all the time, and we're, we're telling people about them and telling, you know, showing, we're sending people on our website right. to go to their site so that they can see. But one of the things that they do is the Child Victim Identification Program. Yep. And so part of our categorization of CSAM is for that purpose as well. We yeah. send every file of CSAM from every case up to NECMEC. They try and identify, they determine whether a child's been identified or if this is a child that has yet to be identified. And then we work to try and they work to try and identify them with yep. the help of investigators and, and other partners in this, this fight. But absolutely. Because those things don't. come into play and maybe like the general public doesn't understand, but you know, these children that are, are being re-victimized every single time one of this piece yeah. of imagery comes across it, that child is re-victimized again and again and again. Yeah. And so if you can, if we get to a point from a, the law enforcement side of the house or NECMEC side of the house where they've identified all these kids, the impact that it has on future cases yeah. because of victim impact statements and things that get to come into play once that. Cause the offender may get a, they may get a sentence and it's usually a definitive sentence. Yeah, but for these kids who have been sexually abused in these these files of these images and videos, it's a life sentence for them. Right. Of knowing that their abuse is forever captured, and so if if for no other reason we go through every file in a case like this, so that we can make sure we didn't miss a victim, and so that we can yeah. make sure we send that, so that hopefully if we can't identify the victim. Other partners of ours can identify and yeah. and rescue the child and get them help and hopefully get them out of that. So there's a lot of work on the back end there too that we Absolutely. don't even talk about. And so while Barkley gets 30 years and Hagney got what? 15. 15 years. You know, the kids that are involved in this all the way around. It's a are life the, sentence. They are victims forever. Yeah, yeah it's a life sentence. I, I think I want to make sure I end on on – two notes because one I don't want to I don't want anybody to perceive that I'm beating up on somebody and so I know mentioning that you know Barkley's interest in oh I hear these two children you know inside their own home in their own safe home you know giggling and goofing around I I hope nobody takes it as that I'm you know that I'm uh, being harsh on some parent who allows their kids to goof around in their own bedroom because there's nothing wrong with any of that. This is from the mind of an absolute predator who's, you know, whose proclivity is to find what he's seeking. And so this, it just happened that this guy did this at such a young age. So 
I don't want to send the message that, uh, you know, we're doing anything more than just making you aware. And, and then in so much that you understand, um, you know, just be aware if you're, you know, if you're living a environment where you can keep the windows open and the screens on because it's a beautiful day out, be aware that and that's with anything, you know, we've said other times that predators go where children are. Yep. Well, in that same regard, there are parents who, you know, they don't think of it because they shouldn't have to think of it. Yeah. They're innocent. Right. You know, the kids are innocent and the parents are innocently thinking my child is safe doing what kids are doing, playing around in their room or playing out in the backyard or whatever. And the predator is the one to blame. But because yeah. of those predators out there, we need to make parents aware that right. hey, this is this is something you might not have ever thought of. It's not it's not something we would have thought about, no, right? Not at all. Like you would never it it wouldn't even enter your subconscious to yeah. think, oh, well, wait a minute, what about this? And, and what so, if some horrific predator and perverted offender were to come up and watch my kids in the window as they played and and right gain some sexual desire from that's just out of the realm of possibility. Very obscure. Think, right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we have someone who's admitting to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then on the, on the last, uh, I think, I think would be, would bear mentioning is like when he told me about the, we have the cool apartment and kids are coming over and smoking weed and hanging out and watching TV and stuff like that. The part that sort of pisses me off was like how many adults saw that sort of activity going on. People are perceptive. People are smart. People know what's going on in their area and people pay attention. Yet nobody, nobody, um, you know, reported any kind of weird behavior or something. And so like we tend nowadays to preach about see something, say something. And so what the listeners need to understand is that the reality of things in regards to human trafficking is, and primarily with girls, but it's not just solely girls, it's girls and boys both. But when we see kids that are having troubles at home and they're running away, a kid that runs away more than three times in a 12-month period is completely susceptible to being pulled into a human trafficking situation. And so for that, we need to get involved. We need to be intentional. We need to intervene before a kid gets to that point and then gets into a situation that they cannot get themselves out of. And so without sharing too much, I told you I found one of these girls as an adult and had a conversation with her. And I will tell you, we had troubles with her from when she was a very young child and running away consistently. And she was into this, um, not by choice, but it, it did happen. And, yeah. and so I want to just make people aware that, you know, the, the saying that we hear constantly now, see something, say something is never more. And if you suspect something, that's, this is one of the things we teach a lot when we teach, um, parent groups, civic groups, church groups, schools, things like that in Texas, particularly there is, you know, the, the laws talk about mandatory reporting and that anyone who suspects any form of child abuse is required to report it. So it doesn't mean that you have to have evidence of something or that you need to go and investigate anything or that you have to know concrete beyond a reasonable doubt details before you report it. If you just suspect something's off, 
report it because what's the right. harm? Great thing is we may be able to determine that nothing's wrong yep. and there's no harm, no foul. But you may, on the flip side of that, you may be saving a life. Yep. And you may be preventing something like this from happening by just you felt something off and you you said, I'm going to report it because it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And so I guess the last thing I want to say before we you know, sort of log off for this episode is um, this was a heavy, heavy one. This was heavy for people to hear. It was heavy when I was going through it. This it was, one left me depressed. It was a little heavy preparing to do it, but I felt it was important an important show to do. Uh, but I, I just want to send the message like, don't lose your faith in humanity. There are, there is evil among us, uh, but there's those of us and many others of us, you know, in this profession across the globe that are doing the work, you know, to yep. try to, to try to lessen the load a little bit, but hopefully it, if anything, it has raised your awareness uh, significantly. Hopefully you stuck through to the end. Um, and as you heard us say in the, when we discussed the vigilante groups, if you want to know how to get involved, there are groups out there. Yep. We've got some child protection agencies on our website, um, but there are many more. You can reach out through email and we'll, we'll give you the list of the ones that we just know about and, and have trust in. But if you want to get involved, there are groups already doing work um, and they are tried and true and you can partner with them and do the work by supporting them and probably get involved with areas that they can use the help. So yep. there are ways for you to get involved. There are ways for you to help and there are ways for you to stop this horrible thing from happening to another child. Yep. So please get involved. Go to our website. You can go to catfishcops.com slash resources. And on our resource page, you can check out uh, child protection organizations. You can check out the third party apps, the settings and the victim notification or I'm sorry, the victim resources. And then finally the parental monitoring software yep. and resources for that. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can do that at our website as well. Visit us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And again, that's catfishcops.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.